Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Nobody fits and everyone belongs, right? Amen. That's who we are. We're a space and it's hard and it's messy, but people like Ray help make that happen. And they're gonna, we're going to keep making that happen. And, and I'm excited to see where God leads us. Today, I want to speak with you all about reconciliation. You've probably heard, oh, I heard, already heard, oh, oh, that's not good. It's not good if we're going into the sermon already, oh, oh, that's a preacher's nightmare. You got to work with me, Liz. Okay, um, because a lot of what we do as, as Christians, as, um, as humans, is we, we work at this thing called reconciliation. Um, and it is hard, hard, hard work, and so it deserves a aww. This, this spot we're in right now is called The Gathering. And I have a vision, an idea, I really hope and pray that the gathering is about to start really gathering. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're not just called the gathering, but we really practice that each Sunday. We really gather together. We really come from different places, different backgrounds. Some of us have deep connections to life in Deep Ellum, and some of us are very new. And still we gather here. And when we gather, we don't just gather to have fun and laugh and sing and have a good old time, because really any club can do that. Uh, there are a lot of great social clubs that you can join. <laughs> There's a lot of great parties you can go to. And while, yes, this is a party, it's not just any party. Because when we come to this gathering, we start to begin the work of reconciliation. We are invited to sit at God's table. I was so moved by what Marcel preached last week. And if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to his sermon on our podcast, I really want you to do that because he went in on the theology of the table and how much it matters that we gather together as one body. And he talked about how messy it is and how messy it has been. And it really just got me thinking about what if the gathering was really a gathering where we really came together and began this work of reconciliation. So what is reconciliation? You've probably heard that word. Well, I'll tell you this, it's not the same thing as diversity, okay? You hear that word a lot, right? Diversity, we need more voices, we need to look diverse. And, it, and that can tend to be a little bit more about optics than it is about the true work of reconciliation. Reconciliation is not cheap diversity. It's not tokens or people we want to have an optic of looking like this cool, diverse church. If it was that, then that'd be maybe easier, but that's not what God has called us to. We are invited to sit at God's table. Invited, not obligated. 
hear that. A lot of church has felt like an obligation to a whole lot of people. Um, I, I, I watch people wrestle their kids to church sometimes, whether that's mass or whatever, and it, and it can feel a little shamey when maybe you don't want to go. It feels a bit like an obligation, but what if it felt like an invitation? An invitation to a table where there is a place carved out just for you. The table is where God's reconciliation happens. And the scripture we're going to focus on today is, speaks to just that. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians, and my boy Paul, you know, I just, I just kind of love him. I really do. He, um, like, like Marcel said, you know, there's some things he said that are, were really inspiring and some not so much, direct quote from Marcel. Um, but I share with Marcel a love of Paul, a love of um, his heart for the gospel, I'm just sort of caught up in how he spent his entire life committed to it. Talk about goals. Um, So he writes in the second book of Corinthians, um, he writes in chapter five about the ministry of reconciliation. So hear hear this scripture, you can find it in your own Bible, you can Google it if you wanna Google it on your phone. So we're looking at chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. What a gift. And also, it's hard as hell. It's very, very hard. It's so hard that no one does it. I won't say no one. Some people have. Someone like Nelson Mandela, who you've heard of, who lived in prison for 27 years as he led South Africa toward the recovery of the evils of apartheid and the injustice that he witnessed. He was in prison for this work. Prison guards would urinate on his head That's worse than cleaning up diapers. But the love of Christ urged him on because he said this. And I believe him when he says this. If you treat your prison guards as an enemy, then they will see you as one. But if you look at them as human beings, they will treat you like one. 
to treat someone who has dehumanized you with full humanity. My, my, my. God, that sounds like reconciliation. And it sounds really hard, but it sounds like freedom. It's the kind of love that urges Curtis Ferguson, our artist who celebrated his work in the gallery last night. It was a fantastic artist reception. I hope that you uh, get to see some images and join us at our next one. It's the kind of fierce love that allows Curtis to speak truth in love about hard topics like crime and racism and injustice and all of that. I watched him speak truth in love last night in a very reconciling way. He spoke about calling for less hoods and more neighborhoods. (laughs) And it's The kind of love, though, that urges those of us in the room to listen when he says that instead of speak up as the white expert saying, oh, we know how to do neighborhoods well. Reconciliation in that moment invited me to listen to Curtis. It was a holy listening. It was getting out of the way. That's reconciliation. And it's hard, but it's good. It's humility, it's grace. It's the willingness to get in the nitty gritty and really feel the knit and the grit and not run away. It's being so rooted in your belovedness by God that you can sit at the table even when it feels risky. And even when you're not really sure that you will fit in or that you will be treated as well as God treats you. But you still show up to the table because you're invited and there's a spot for you. It's a love that stoops down and lowers the chair when it needs to. And it's a love that lifts up chairs that have been downtrodden and lowered and lowered and lowered by societies and systems and structures so that those that sit in those chairs can truly feel like they have an equal seat at the table. Because you see, reconciliation isn't kumbaya. It isn't we all come together and we all believe the same thing and agree and are happy and having fun. It's costly, it's hard, it takes a lot of prayer, it takes a lot of asking Jesus Will you help me with this? It's very, very hard. But our other option is division. Hmm. How does that option land in your soul? Our other option is resentment. At everyone who doesn't look like us or think like us or talk like us. At every Christian who believes differently than us. We can stay resentful. We can silo ourselves away, but that, my friends, doesn't sound like the ministry of reconciliation. I'll tell you a story of reconciliation that's kind of vulnerable for me to share, but I'll share it because it's it's a healing wound. It's not an open wound. Reconciliation looks like me coming out as gay to my Southern Baptist grandmother. 
With shaking hands, I told her this about me. Hey, just shaking, shaking, shaking. And I waited. I pulled up my seat to the table. And she said to me, you know, Jenna, I, I don't agree with it. But that doesn't mean I don't love you. And you know what? I don't agree with her saying that to me. But it doesn't mean I don't love her. Because she's my precious granny mom. And I believe her when she says she loves me. That's what reconciliation looks like. The love of Christ urges us on. To put our ego aside and our fear aside and our judgment aside and our assumptions aside and there's just so much letting go with resurrection you're just constantly letting things go so much so that your hands are open and you can actually praise God because you have open hands because you've let so much go It's hard as hell, my friends, but we can't avoid this work. And you haven't been avoiding it. You've been trying it. You've been wrestling in it. There's been some bumps and some bruises and some good stories and some painful stories. But you've already been doing this work, Life in Deep Ellum. We can't avoid this work. We could avoid it, but the costs are too high, you see, we would live out a life of comfort, but not a life of salvation. And we deserve salvation. Whether it's race or politics or sexuality, we are basically, as, as Christ followers, as Christians, wherever you find yourself on the spectrum of identifying in the faith, we are basically walking around in a dumpster fire of identity crises. It's a dumpster fire. It's like worse than just diapers and cut glass and Jose Cuervo. It's like even more complicated than that. It's like a microcosm of what we are working with to try to reconcile. Who are we? Who am I? Who is God? These are the questions that ache in our soul. And why do I feel so apart from others? It takes a brave soul to be willing to sit at a table and figure all that out through the work of the Holy Spirit. Instead of plopping down at a 2,000-year-old Christian table thinking we already have all the truth figured out. Why come to the table if you're not expecting to be fed? Why sit down at God's table if you're not expecting to be changed. There are many other tables you can sit at, but God's table is one that will change you. So many uh, thinkers and preachers and authors are really wrestling with this idea of reconciliation and unity in Christ. And um, I went to a conference recently and, and I bought a book um, called Disunity in Christ. And it's got two chairs sitting opposite from each other. You can kind of see it. Um, and I think it's a great picture of kind of where we're at right now. <laughs> it's a great picture. Our chairs are pointed away from each other. And for a lot of good reasons. 
reasons to protect ourselves, reasons to protect our faith, but also to protect our ego, also to protect our pride. And so we point our chairs opposite from each other. But in this book, Christina Cleveland is a sociologist and, and researcher and, and, um, and, and woman of faith. And she talks about how um, unity doesn't mean that there aren't, um, there isn't a big consideration for power and privilege. Because you see, all chairs haven't been made the same. You know, some chairs have been set up really high in our society and some have been set up too low. And so part of this work of reconciliation is leveling those chairs so that we can sit at the same table and eat the same food. How are you gonna eat food together if you're eating up here and someone else is eating way down here? God desires an equal table, okay? But that equal table is really, really hard work and she speaks to this. She says, the work of reconciliation is often excruciating because it is the work of the cross. And that was excruciating for Jesus. If reconciliation work isn't painful, I'd venture to say that it isn't really reconciliation work. Reconciliation requires that we partner with equally imperfect individuals who are also clumsily scaling the cross-cultural learning curve. Forgive those who carelessly wrong us, repeatedly ask for forgiveness, and engage in awkward and unpredictable situations. Now, who's like, sign me up for that? <laughs> it's not a natural, like, yes, give me that QR code. I'm there, God. Like, I'm ready. But it's so, so, so important. She also speaks to this work of, of equality, of justice. And she says this, positive cross-cultural interactions only work if both groups enjoy equal status. Here's the thing, not all divisions are created equal. Some divisions occur between two equal status groups that simply disagree on an issue they deem important. I like chocolate ice cream and you like van vanilla and we're gonna fight about it, right? There's no really high stakes there because it's just ice cream. Not that ice cream isn't important, but you get what I'm saying. However, other divisions, like divisions across racial, gender, or class lines, occur between groups that hear this, that do not share equal status. In fact, in many cases, the divisions are the result of the higher status group systematically oppressing the lower status group. My, 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 this reconciliation stuff's gonna be hard. Hard, hard, hard. But there is the grace of Christ, you see, because as we level the playing field, as we seek equality and justice and 
true equity in our systems, we also have the grace of Jesus. So many times we get into how God wants us to be righteous without also remembering how much grace God has for us, okay? And sometimes we can get into, oh, God has so much grace for me that, well, you know, I'll just like live my life and have fun and be a good person. I'll do my best. Grace and accountability are two sides of the same coin. You can't have them without each other. But they are together. And that's really good news because that means we learn to take accountability about the times that we've lowered chairs that shouldn't have been lowered and the times we've raised chairs that shouldn't have been made higher. We can confess that to God and guess what? God forgives us. God says, thank you for confessing this sin to me. I am ready to help you the next time you try. It's grace and accountability. They go hand in hand. And if you ever feel that accountability is sounding more like shame and not a lot of grace, don't you dare forget about grace. And if you ever get so, so comfy, comfy, cozy, cozy in your slippers and your cozy, cozy grace, which I love some cozy grace. I, I believe God loves me and I know that. It's real cozy. Ah, mm, it's not a great place to be forever either though because guess what's calling you? It's the work of accountability. That's what's calling you. Because no matter how, who you are, you're human and you need grace and accountability. You need both of those things to live a whole life in God. So as we kind of wrap up this, this little chat, I want you to know that you've already been sitting at tables. Coming to the table is, is really not new for you. You're already sitting at tables. But I want you to ask, what do those tables look like? Hmm, Jenna, don't ask me that. Don't you ask me that. I'm gonna ask you, what do those tables you're already sitting at look like? If they look only exactly like you, I would encourage you and invite you to something even better that God has for you. Because we need each other. That is the only way that we can do this work. We need all of us. So what has been feeding you? That's my second question. You've been already sitting at some tables and you've been fed some messages already. You're already eating some messages. What's been feeding you? Is it all social media? Is it all mainstream news channels? Is it CNN? Is it Fox? I don't care what it is. What is it? What's been feeding your soul? And has God had a part in that? Have, has your own mind been feeding your, your soul? Our minds can feed us all kinds of lies about who we are and what we're worth and what we're valued. Maybe that's what you've just been eating up. 
I'm unworthy, I'm bad, I'm a failure, I'm not perfect, so I'm a failure. All of these messages, have you just been eating them up? Have you just been letting them feed you? Kat Armis, who writes the book Abuelita Faith, and we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month here at Life in Deep Ellum, and she writes a book um, about her abuelita and the many um, women in her community that shaped her faith that would never really have access to schools of theology, and so they would never really be called theologians. Their chair was set too low. But listen to what Kat says. She says, it's easier when we're fed what to think, what to believe about ourselves, our histories, and God. When our identities are programmed, we're not really taught to engage or bring your whole selves, our whole selves to the table. When we're just fed mindlessly messages. Um, makes it hard to believe that we can bring our whole selves to the table. And so here is my question for you. What if, what if your whole self was welcome here? What if every part of you your past, your mistakes, every single, single, single part of you, what if it was welcome here? What if that wasn't an obstacle to receiving the love of God? What if you could imagine a table here, and maybe, maybe we'll set one up next week so you can really imagine it, but what if you saw a table here and then what if you walked up to that table and you saw an invitation, a placemat, a place, you know, at fancy weddings when your name is right there? What if, what if imagine, what if you walked up to the table and you saw your name? And you said, oh God, this is gonna be hard. This is gonna be scary. It's gonna be a journey. I don't know what's gonna happen when I sit down at that table. But what if, what if there was something inside you, something deep in your soul that said, you know what, I'm going to try it. I'm going to sit down at the table of God and trust that I can be held just as I am, but that I might not leave the table in the same way that I started. And that's vulnerable. Your whole self is welcome here. So as we become a gathering, let's really start to gather. Come to the table where all are invited, all are seen, all are loved and affirmed and welcomed radically by our gracious God. Let's gather, Deep Ellum. It's about damn time. <laughs>